Hello and welcome to the Cathedral of St. James podcast. The following conversation is led by the Dean of the Cathedral, the Reverend Brian Grant, on wealth as an outcome of faith and the prosperity gospel. This is part of our broader series titled, Sell All That You Have, Wealth, Poverty, and the Christian Tradition. In this series, we're asking questions about poverty, wealth, and the Christian life, as Christians have for 2,000 years. Uh, We're asking, what are faithful approaches to wealth and poverty today? Is Jesus really calling the wealthy to sell all that they have? Does God have a preferential option for the poor? Is wealth an outcome of faith, an obstacle to faith, or something else entirely? We're approaching these questions through a careful exploration of the scriptures, church tradition, and modern perspectives on wealth and poverty. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you're all here safely for another session. Um, So we started this series, Wealth, Poverty, and the Christian Tradition, asking some questions, just basic questions about, uh, you know, how have Christians thought about wealth for thousands of years, what are some traditions that come from it. Um, I have spent uh, a lot of time on uh, traditions that view wealth as a barrier to faith. (laughs) So um, uh, some uh, monastic traditions, uh, we've talked about the story of the rich young ruler many times, but uh, yeah, stories and traditions that have viewed wealth as uh, as a barrier, traditions that have viewed poverty uh, as as a, a good in the Christian life. To greater or lesser extent, today we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about wealth uh, uh, as an outcome of faith. Uh, so we're we talking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a deal! <laughs> so we haven't touched on this yet. Maybe it's okay that we just spend a week on it. But um, here's my little, uh, you know, uh, provocative question as an insider and uh, maybe from an outside perspective. Uh, but the first week we we mentioned. Uh, Stephanie, the canon Stephanie Spellers, who's a canon for the Episcopal Church, and her book, The Church Cracked Open, mentions mm-hmm. that the Episcopal Church uh, is not only the wealthiest uh, Christian community in the world, but um, in, in America. In the world? Yeah. But, but um, in America, it's twice as wealthy and twice as educated as the average American. So, from an outside perspective, someone might ask the question, oh, Episcopalians, wealth, outcome of faith? Maybe ask some of these questions, whether or not it's true. I don't think anyone in this room (laughs) would say that we believe that wealth is an outcome of faith, but there are questions, and uh, there's no better person to ask these to than Father Brian. I'm hoping Roger comes because I have some. Yeah. But thank you, Father Brian. Actually, being, yeah. I hope Roger doesn't come because yeah. he will fall. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, so there are uh, any number of ways to uh, to approach this. The uh, here are some verses from the Bible. Malachi 3.10. I'm sorry for the King James here, but bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. 
if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Malachi. Matthew 25, uh, 14 to 30, the parable of the talents. You know um, uh, those who have been faithful with little will be given much, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Mm -hmm. Okay, Philippians 4, 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And uh, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Okay. All of those verses, uh, usually taken out of context, but all of those verses become the foundations of what we know as prosperity theology, that God desires our prosperity, and there is a connection being made between um, uh, not only spiritual prosperity, but material prosperity as well, and we're going we're gonna to talk about how we get to that. This kind of transactional thinking is not new. It is uh, actually deeply embedded in the biblical story itself. This idea that those who are blessed receive good things and those who are cursed receive bad things. Those, uh, the, the reasons that Israel has gone into exile, uh, not once, not twice, but, uh, but the, the idea that in disobeying God and doing what God doesn't like, they are being punished. And then in turning, repenting, and doing what God does like, they are rewarded with lands and riches. and you know. So this idea is not foreign to the biblical story itself. And in fact, the readings you will hear this very day in church are going to punch all of that right in the gut. Um, like Job. What's that? Like Job. Like Job. It's going to be a Job jab only. <laughs> only a, a Jesus jab and a Micah jab. And, and, and Brian, the, the spiritual facet of that that you just referred to is what gives poor people or people that are depressed by society hope. Yes. Okay. And it's also what keeps them oppressed. Oh. <laughs> so it's a two-edged sword. So we're going to talk about a little bit about where the prosperity gospel, as we know it, or prosperity theology emerged from. And there, there's some really interesting threads. So you who are scholars and historians and know much more about such things as, than me, um, we're going to talk about the rise of, of uh, three sort of threads in the 19th century that converge in the 20th century and give rise to what we now know as modern-day prosperity theology, which, by the way, is now the leading theology in growing churches. So this is not something that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking abstractly. This is, this is real. <laughs> um, but the threads of what we currently have uh, begin in the 19th century. What was going on sociologically, 19th century? What was, what was happening in this country? And by the way, this, is, this starts in the United States and goes to the rest of the world because we had the televisions. Um, yeah, Cherry. First off, didn't it start 
more like in colonial times or early American? Because that's Cotton just Mather. not where we're starting today. But <laughs> yeah, what was going well, on? Where was it? Well, it yeah. was already there by the time nineteenth yeah. century came along. Industrial yeah. Revolution. Industrial Great Revolution. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Industrial Revolution, which did what? It brought people from the countries into the city. Country into the city and people into, into factories? Yes, yeah. Close yeah. proximity? No. Close proximity? Um, there started to be layers between management and workers. Yeah. So there was a stratification. Yeah. yeah. So, so we were moving from agrarian to yeah. industrial yeah. economy mm -hmm. and created massive wealth gaps. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Massive wealth gaps. And so um, one of the ways, uh, and there was also continuing, and you're right, in the, in, the, uh, in the 18th century as well, there is this idea in this country of manifest destiny, that uh, what, what is out ahead of me that I can get is clearly and obviously for me, because God has so ordained it. Um, if we're talking about the wealth of the Episcopal Church, that's one of the things that got us to this point. Um, we were, uh, uh, this is an aside, but uh, in 2008, when I became dean of the cathedral, there was a, an invitation issued uh, by the National Church. It's not the National Church, excuse me, podcast, by the Episcopal Church uh, that includes the United States, but many territories beyond. Um, that uh, was the Episcopal Church's apology, the official apology for benefiting from the institution of, of slavery. Mm -hmm. We didn't do that until 2008, which is astounding uh, in its own right. But I was invited to, all deans of cathedrals were invited to Philadelphia to attend this particular event. And... Um, and at the time, I was newly dean and thought, well, I guess deans of cathedrals are doing this sort of thing. And so I went off to Philadelphia, and it turned out there were only two deans of cathedrals that did it, the one in Philadelphia and me. Um, but nevertheless, there we were. And, but I also went with this idea of what does that have to do with Indiana, right? Well, guess what? <laughs> The amassing of wealth in this country that happened on the backs of the slave trade had a lot to do with the uh, with the money that that headed, you know, that, that supported our westward expansion, and the banks that we bank with, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase, all of that built with money that that was gained in the slave trade, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, it was, uh, it was revelatory, and also uh, then it dawned on me, uh, it, it's one of those things that just hits you like a ton of bricks. That Where was the last public lynching in the United States? Indiana. It was in Marion, Indiana, uh, in the 1930s, and um, that's here, that's this diocese. So yeah, it has a lot to do with, with Indiana. So anyway, Manifest Destiny is, is a part of that, that, that idea uh, and, you know, going back even further with the doctrine of discovery that, uh, you know, which Eddie Izzard wonderfully says, if it doesn't have a flag, we can plant ours and it's ours, you know. So do you have a flag? No. Well, we do. You know, here it is. It's ours. Um, so we can take whatever we believe God has ordained to give to us, uh, whether that is uh, by negotiation and purchase or by, by force. If we are mightier than you, God has ordained such, mm -hmm. and we will take what we want. So, 
Sociologically, that's what's going on. You have suddenly an agrarian economy becoming an industrial economy. You have massive gaps, think Andrew Carnegie, uh, that are beginning to uh, emerge in society with the amassing of wealth. Uh, we call these people Tamison's relatives. And, oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Boston bankers and lawyers, yeah. So we love them, though. Yeah. Um, and and so that's that's part of what's happening economically. That's you know we've kind of gotten in and we spilled over into that story. But what else is happening economically in the late nineteenth century? Well, the way that they were distributing their wealth, that they that um, that they could invent things, come up with ideas, and then do great, you know, great things in the sense of like. Um, uh, the intercontinental, you know, the the cross-continental railroad, um, and uh, that also, in turn, created wealth and jobs and everything mm -hmm. because of the commerce mm -hmm. that was able to um, to go through that. So yeah. it it spread out. You know, the yeah. um, uh, it it wasn't all concentrated. It was it was spread out in. Um, in various ways. On the flip side, you have the pre-union, pre so you have the horrific working environment mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. what was building largely the wealth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that too. It's interesting yeah. tapestry. And you also had no income tax. Uh, and mm -hmm. right at that point, we didn't have a middle class. No, you had working class and wealthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But that was the case before that, too. Mm -hmm. And right. serves or slaves. Yeah. Right. I came from the and, and landowners. So. No, no, I was wondering how the wars played into the economy yeah, at this point. That's I'm not sure about my history, but how the wars. World War I? They no. hadn't started yet, but. Yeah, yeah. We're, You'd be looking mm -hmm. at the Civil War still. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and in the Civil War, if you had the money and if you were so inclined, you could pay someone to fight for you. And Teddy Roosevelt's father did that because. His wife was from the South, and she had specifically asked him, don't do this, because yeah. it's going to be, you're going to have fun, you know. The Civil War? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, um, so, so that, that was in the, Civil, in the Civil War time. So if you had the money, you could yeah. do that to avoid <laughs> this, um, um, you know, this conflict. So the and theologically, moving from the Civil War... Oops. I am. Mm -hmm. To World War One mm -hmm. or the Great War. Um, there's also a, a, a theological shift that is beginning to happen. Um, uh, so the Civil War. Th there is an idea in the 19th century uh, that was encapsulated in this slogan: "Every day." In every way, way, things are getting, getting better, better and better, better, right? This idea of progress. Every day, in every way, things are getting better and better. The Civil War threw a gigantic wrench into that, the that, that sort of secular theology, uh, and, but also into the church's theology of, you know, we, that we were spreading the gospel far and wide around the world. It was the mission of the church to take the gospel to every corner of the world and to preach Jesus Christ. And the nation that was doing that then fell into a war against itself, 
right? And so you have that which was uh, really hurt us uh, theologically, and then coming out of that into that industrial post-war time, uh, and we did it again in World War One, a world that was the, the Christian West at war with itself uh, in, in really a, an incredibly cruel way. So you have all of these things that are converging, but you have, um, you have some threads here that are, are converging. One is called the New Thought Movement. Does anybody know what the New Thought Movement is? I don't remember. So the New Thought Movement is, if I can think it, I can call it into existence. Think it, I can call it into existence. Okay, so uh, the the person who is the chief apologist for that is William Walker Atkinson, uh, who writes a book in 1906 called uh, Thought Vibration or the Law of Attraction in the Thought World. Um, and then there are a couple of books in the 20th century, early 20th century, that will become uh, kind of uh, the the centerpieces of this. And and if you are of a certain age, you will know both of these titles. And if you are of a certain, certain age, you will have had one of these books in your parents' or grandmother's house, or grandparents' house. The Secret. The Secret. And Jack Canfield's um, Chicken Soup for the Soul was a, was a product of that. Yep. So that a proponent of I'm that. A, I'm a little earlier than that okay, on okay. both of these, but you're absolutely right. That's, that's the, the logical direction of the New Thought Movement, of how these things come into existence. Okay. Number one, 1937, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Remember that? Okay, Think and Grow Rich. If I imagine it for myself, that wealth will come into existence for me. All you have to do is think about it. All you have to do is think positively about it. So then today, that's why people say, you know, have these daily affirmations. Yeah. You know, and, and write things down. Yep. You know, write, yeah. Now, the second one and the one that was absolutely a staple of the of my grandparents and parents house growing up it's when the protestant church gets involved in this norman vincent peels the power of positive, positive thinking, thinking. Oh. Yeah, right sure. yeah that is a prosperity gospel primer uh that is coming out of the new thought movement filtered through protestant theology so directly into that and that was a little bit later 1952 Okay, The Secret was written in 2006, but it is straight out of there, right? So that's the new thought movement. If I can dream it, if I can imagine it, I can have it. It can be mine. I can call into existence by my positive affirmation that which my heart truly desires. If only I want it enough, okay? That's new thought. There is another thing that happens in the early 20s. Before you leave that, does that also give you permission to do what you think you're supposed to do to get that? Manifest mm-hmm. destiny. Yeah, but that's way back. It, but it's, 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 it's still around. Absolutely <laughs> derivative. Okay. Remember, though, yeah. also in the Civil War, both sides were convinced that God was on their yep. side. Yeah. So, so we have that new thought. Yeah, I think everyone I think does everyone? Yeah. I'm sure the Russians think that God is on their side. Uh-huh. Oh, you must be mistaken there, godless. <laughs> Say we. Ukrainians. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's the new thought movement. There is a new um, 
strand of Christianity emerging in the early 20th century as well, late 19th, early 20th century. Does anybody have an idea what that one is? Azusa Street Revival, California? Is it charismatic stuff? It's not. uh, It's the logical outcome of that, but this is the beginning of that. The charismatic movement? The charismatic movement or Pentecostalism. Yeah. Uh, it, It begins in California. Uh, and spreads throughout. And the, idea, the fundamental idea of Pentecostalism is that uh, each of us uh, receives the gift of the Holy Spirit and are then empowered by that Spirit to claim what God has promised us. Now, not all Pentecostals are prosperity gospels, so let's be very clear about that. And some Pentecostals that I have met are absolutely lovely and wonderful people uh, who have a very strong uh, and, and anchored life of faith, uh, but but try to live by the power of the Spirit in all of their decisions. However, that kind of thought is highly individualistic and therefore susceptible to this sort of new thought uh, 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 direction within it, uh, this new thought um, predilection to if Jesus wants me to have it, then it will become manifest for me. And the Bible in this is uh, it's often read fundamentally. Um, and so the, little, the literal or plain truth of the Bible uh, comes, through, comes to us through fundamentalism. It's not it was there before, but it comes to us largely post-enlightenment. But, um, uh, but this idea that you can read the Bible and what it says is true, and the Bible is viewed as a contract. It's not viewed as, you know, what we do is, you know, it's the story of God and the relationship between God and humanity and uh, the working out of of salvation through, you know, no, it's not that. It is the word of God as it is written, uh, not to be interpreted, and it's viewed as a contract. And so if God says that we are to be prosperous who are faithful, then the promises that God has made for prosperity are there for us to claim for ourselves. That is uh, where prosperity theology begins. So the tent revivals, that all happened after the Civil War? It is, yes. Okay. Yeah. Tent revivals, uh, I'm not entirely sure when, but they were huge in the 1920s and 30s. Um, and they give way uh, to the person who is largely thought of as the first true spokesperson for prosperity theology. It's a name you will all know. Uh, in the late 1940 or in the late 1940s, post World War II, who shot up to start? Not Billy Graham because he's not a prosperity guy. Oh, what's his name? The Crystal Cathedral guy. Oral Roberts. Oh, Oral sure. Roberts. It was Oral Roberts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not sure. Yeah. So Oral Roberts, uh, through the 1950s, is preaching a prosperity gospel, and it becomes hugely popular. Partly because this thought is already within our society, we can accomplish anything who claim it. Right. Um, that's a hugely appealing gospel message. By the way, you can have whatever you want because Jesus wants you to have it. Um, it says so right in the Bible. It's my Uncle Chuck talking. Um, and so prosperity theology is, it gains a lot of traction through the late, 
uh, from the late 1940s through the 1950s. And then what medium propels Oral Roberts to international stardom? Pat. Television. Television. He becomes the first true televangelist. Um, and Roberts and then a host of others uh, in, in his wake uh, become these great televangelists uh, in, in the 20th century. And then uh, following upon that, uh, in, in the latter part, the 1980s televangelism gets handed over to people like Jim Baker, mm -hmm. uh, Jim and Tammy Faye, um, who else was in there? Uh, Benny Hinn. Uh, Jimmy Swag Swagger. Swagger, yeah. Oh, I know. I, I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the latter day versions of these, as we come through the 1990s, uh, are people like uh, Benny Hinn. Uh, T.D. Jakes, and our everybody's favorite, Joel Osteen, right? Ugh. They are all prosperity Ugh. gospel <laughs> preachers. They no longer use that label because it's tainted now, but they are prosperity gospel preachers uh, who are all, in, in one way or another, preaching that flavor of, um, if you name it, you can. It's, it's also called name it and claim it theology. If you name it and claim it, it is yours. And uh, Joel Osteen's book was, anybody remember? Damn. I'm trying to remember myself, so I'm hoping you do. <laughs> I never Computers at work. No, no, not at work. <laughs> oh, oh, I got it. Your Best Life Now. Mm -hmm. Right? It's in the title. Your Best Life Now. So, okay. So all of that is happening through the 19th, 20th century in these really clear threads of theology, but not only theology, through secular thought as well. Um, and in this idea that, that we, we are owed God's blessing, right? Okay. And those, those speakers, those preachers, they, they were so convincing uh, you know, with their, their presentations, their whatever. That it was hard to, to leave that arena, and the reason I can say that is I heard Oral Roberts, mm -hmm. and and it was it was in a basketball court, so you kind of felt like, felt like you were in a basketball game. <laughs> it was it was uncanny for me, but it, it didn't fit. But uh, some of the, some of the women are people that I went to school with out in West Texas. This was this was exactly where they came from, and then I went home to my aunt, and she talked to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like a rally. So, it was. It yeah. Was, it was to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Would that be appropriate, Ryan? Is is that sort of the way I, I should have been feeling? I mean, you kind of you kind of left like, praise God, <laughs> type feeling. Well, Celeste, did you name it? <laughs> is very contagious. Mm -hmm. We're under middle class to look at this movement and think, oh, this is nonsense, but. There are a lot of people, the great majority of people aren't in that group of people. And, you know, if you're living hand to mouth, um, this starts to sound a lot more attractive. And, and, it, and it speaks to real, a real sense of, man, I don't have hardly enough at all. And wouldn't it be great if, if this was the message that the church was but, but, bringing? But what I've seen in Latin America, I, I disagree with the upper middle class and it gives an excuse for those in the upper echelons to justify 
their status mm. and yes. become and become yeah. fr and at the same time become friends with those who don't have it and say you can have what I want yeah. you just work hard enough and you can get it hold mm -hmm. that thought yeah <laughs> hold that that's the critique but hold that thought I Kim? just wanted to say the story of God's blessing is told throughout the Old Testament yes mm -hmm. and so that's what's right yeah that mm -hmm. God is continually we've learned the story of God blessing God's people uh, and uh, you know this this was couched in terms of the Roman Catholic Church but it's broader than that um, it's also a way it, the, the not subscribing to this idea of name it and claim it is also a way to justify the suffering of others, uh, to say uh, that we place this great emphasis on the suffering of Christ and therefore we must all suffer with Jesus as well. Well, uh, you know, that, that's probably as misguided as anything else. So it allows us to justify suffering and say, well, some people must suffer. You know, and, and one of the great lines that is horribly abused is Jesus saying, the poor will be with you always. Well, okay, so we don't have to worry about the poor. Not no. what Jesus said, nor what Jesus meant. Right, so uh, it, it, it is another way of, of kind of absolving. All right, the danger. Where is the danger? Now you go. It's just it justifies what you have and justifies the status quo. I think yeah. that's. It, it, if you if there is any suffering in your life, then you are not faithful. Right, Pat. This is a hyper individualistic take. Right, and uh, it also uh, yes, it all of those things. It takes love out of out of it all too. It's so that you're doing everything for what you can get out of it. It makes yeah. faith transaction. Yes. Yeah. I'm also wondering, you know, what words prosper and prosperity are translating when mm. we see it in the Bible. Because mm. I think of prosperity, I know now it has the connotation of just being material things. But I'm wondering if you go back far enough to the Latin and then what the Latin's translating, if it's a more, if it's a broader yeah. term. Yeah. Sorry. It's a good question. It's a very good question. Yeah. Kim, you were about to say. If you can go, I mean, the book of Job and what all of Job's friends say to him about mm -hmm. why the suffering is happening. Whether you didn't do something right, or God meant it for you because you did something wrong, or you didn't have enough faith, or I mean, there's all the all the people that say the what the stuff why, that we would come up with. That yes, yes, and and yet that's not the answer. The answer is God. Yeah. But I do like the message of hope mm -hmm. when people are hopeless. Yeah. There has to be some. Yeah. It cannot be right. institutional, and I and I, I'm just trying to sort of like yeah. that message has to translate elsewhere. Yeah, mm -hmm. because elsewhere is losing people, yes. mm -hmm. which is why mm -hmm. Celeste was taken up. I mean, there's truth mm -hmm. in what's being told, yeah. but it's just mixed up with untruth. Yeah, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. isn't one of the reasons people want to become prosperous so they can help others? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in and of itself, that suggests there's some mm -hmm. benefit to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and again, you know, going back to, you know, really the matter at hand for a lot of this particular series in the adult forum is what, uh, what is the, the, the moral balance of wealth, right? Is it, uh, is it inherently good? Is it inherently uh, uh, drawing us into idolatry? Uh, or is it inherently neutral, morally? Um, and that's a good question. But one of the critiques of the prosperity gospel is it tends to place 
the acquisition of wealth and health as the centerpiece rather than God, right? So it, it becomes an idolatrous version of this, that, that what I am doing is I'm actually not seeking God, I'm seeking my own benefit, which is the definition of idolatry. There is also what happens uh, in prosperity churches, uh, what we've seen over and over and over again in prosperity churches. Uh, they tend to be led by one very charismatic person who answers to no one because they have named and claimed their own authority and you can't challenge it. To challenge it would be to challenge God's will. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. Um, and uh, if you want to see, uh, it's, it's, it's not particularly long, but there is a, a, a sort of an expose uh, that's available on YouTube by Benny Hinn's son talking about what life was like growing up in his father's church. And whoa, <laughs> he said, it's part church, part mafia. But, 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 yeah. but that is no different than the criticism that is done for, and here's just the institution of the Catholicism, mm -hmm. in which, you know, we broke up, that you had the Pope, and the Pope says everything, and, yeah. and you have an institution mm -hmm. that abused a lot of children for centuries, probably, because yeah. we don't know who, what happened 500 years ago. And, yep. and so, so, so it's whenever yeah. you give too much power to something. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Or exactly. someone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that this was because this you said this was a particularly American thing. It right? started yeah, yeah this this thread this time and yeah. it like I mean the structure really reminds me of a corporation and America's you know mm -hmm. like just history with corporations mm -hmm. so which also grew up nineteenth yeah. twentieth mm -hmm. century right yeah and the Episcopal Church itself became very corporate. Uh, in the 19th and 20th centuries, thank you again, Uncle J.P. Morgan, for, uh, for giving us a corporate structure that became a top-down model of governance that we never had before. Um, and it's efficient in a way, but it's not necessarily good at meeting the needs of the people that the institution is trying to serve, because you're absolutely right. Uh, when you have institutions that have a propensity to serve themselves, this is ultimately what happens. Right. It, is, is that uh, is sort of shifting in the modern Episcopal Church? I know that, that the Daughters of the King, our current president, is absolute. That's one of her goals, is to have it come this way rather than top down. I, say, I, I, you lost the, me the at the... Daughters of the King... Have what come this way? Uh, power. Power. Bottom. To have it come from the bottom, bottom up. up. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, and the abuses of authority within are, are possible within any any institution, yeah. and it's one of the reasons that we put in checks and balances, or we try to put in checks and balances mm -hmm. that don't always work. But prosperity churches tend to be one person acts uh, with a group of people around them uh, who are in on it, uh, basically who are benefiting from it tremendously, and the wealth becomes concentrated. Uh, at the top, and you will hear things like uh, uh, seed offerings, or you know, if you do this, it was the it was Oral Roberts, the sevenfold increase. If you give your seed offering in mm -hmm. faith, you will receive a sevenfold increase, uh, and God will bless you, and and all of this stuff. And and so that 
Uh, and I remember uh, watching this in my grandmother's house growing up. Uh, and my grandmother, who uh, very strange Episcopalian, who watched all that stuff, and uh, and believed it. Right. So if you send off your hundred dollars, which she could ill afford to do, that God would give you seven hundred in return through various sources. Well, that never quite worked out for her, um, but it was that. There's also, and I I do like. This is I tell the story in a funny way, but Dabney Smith, uh, who was rector at St. Michael and All Angels and, and later bishop of Southwest Florida, uh, he and I went to a conference in San Antonio, and we went to his sister's church, which was a prosperity church, Pentecostal prosperity church. And there were some funny things about that, you know, like marching around to onward Christian soldiers. Everybody had to get up and march around the church. And, and the preacher who was talking about the glory cloud, and he could hardly see us all because of the glory cloud. Um, and, and the idea is, you know, in this, that if you can't see, if you can't perceive what they see and perceive, that you don't have faith. Yeah. Right. So it's it the 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 defect is always if you don't receive that blessing, if you don't receive that wealth, the defect is within you and your faith. So it becomes a, a blame game. And where that really hit us was Dabney's sister was in the hospital, and the uh, the and quite ill, and the. Uh, the pastoral uh, minister who came to see her uh, said, if you had enough faith, you could get up and walk out of here. No. <laughs> you know, she was nigh unto death um, and, and still in herself feeling that guilt and feeling that, that sense that she was not being faithful enough. And, and that can lead to, in some cases, uh, you know, if you have faith, you, you don't need doctors. You know, your, your faith will heal you. That's crazy talk. You know, God works through all of this. It's easy to do that even, I mean, whether it's prosperity gospel or not. Because yeah. you are, you know, okay, we're praying for healing. Yeah. The flip side of that is if healing doesn't occur, then the prayers weren't good enough. Right. Right. So... Oh, sorry, can I just speak to that? Because yeah. I remember asking that of my grandma once. Like, yeah. um, and yeah. she said that you know healing always happens. It's just not necessarily yeah. the kind of healing yeah. that you can see. And I think that's another thing. Like, it's how do you interpret words? Are they literal? Well, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, um, a lot of evangelical churches do, or is there like a broader meaning? But so, how do we resolve this? Do we feel guilty about wealth or not? I want you to feel I want you to feel good about wealth but not to love it. That's the Okay, so that's what I'll tell my students. Mm -hmm. Your gift to God is to make money, please make it and then distribute it as you wish. Right. Mm -hmm. Wealth you know, that would be my take is you know, honestly that wealth is not inherently the problem. The problem is the amassing or hoarding of wealth or wealth gained through ill-begotten Ill wealth, right? So that which uh, disadvantages others in order to acquire it, which also happens. Yeah. What's that? That happens a lot. All the time. But that mm -hmm. goes beyond yeah. just material wealth. Is yeah. Whenever mm -hmm. you do something because you want an award, mm -hmm. because you want a title, because you want power, it, it's it's... Even if it's not material, it's it's it will not bring you closer to God, no, right? No. 
Well, although if you want the award and you get it, won't you feel closer to God? <laughs> no, you feel grateful. Yeah. yeah. It won't mm-hmm. bring you closer to God. Certainly, you think you deserve it. You're mad if somebody else gets an immaterial girl. That's that's <laughs> envy, and that's one of the seven deadly sins. No, but, but I'm just saying the 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 the. the Searching for anything, but it's not just material wealth that no. you're. T- it's mm-hmm. it's yeah. searching for. S- yeah. Anything for that you search for more than God can become. Yeah. Idolatry. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what I. That's what I. I mean, yeah. I'm just trying to bring what you just said here. To yeah. Why yeah. I figured this out recently, um, reading a uh, reading something else, but. Um, Pride is how I figured out, no wonder pride is one of the seven deadly sins, because if you feel like you can do everything yourself, then you are, you feel like you you don't need God, so you're not as close to God, and you won't permit other people to be close enough to assist you if you mm-hmm. require assistance. Mm-hmm. So you're not, it, it's, pride separates us from God and from each other. Mm-hmm. So if you're so solely focused on that award or obtaining that and if you feel like all you need is that then taking there off goes from there. your community what are the seven deadly sins anybody uh, sloth, pride gluttony. sloth um gluttony Tamis and lust avarice avarice yeah that's what you're bringing it yeah lust and uh gluttony we got to write these down. There are apparently 30 deadly sins. No, greed. Greed is avarice. Lust, greed. Okay, that's two. Avarice. Okay, that's three. All right, you have them. The theme in the seven deadly sins is they all begin with something that is absolutely fundamentally necessary for life. You Take, for instance... Take, for instance, uh, uh, gluttony. Good one. We are all hungry. We all have to fulfill that need within ourselves. What is gluttony? It's that need run amok and, and taking over. The same with pride. The same with... Um, pride. There we go. Got him. Um, uh, with, with greed. Uh, and that's where the prosperity gospel tends to run afoul, right? Is that it is an overemphasis on material, uh, material benefit uh, that, that gets into that greed. So there, and Margaret, there is that line, and I think this is what you're ultimately getting at. It's very hard to, to know where that is sometimes, but there is a line between what is necessary and what is exploitative, mm-hmm. right? And that's where humility comes in. Mm-hmm. We have to approach all of this uh, so humbly because we can all get caught up in it as well. Lust is another great example, mm-hmm. right? We, it is necessary. Attraction is necessary for the propagation of the species. Well, we can go a little too far with it. So, yeah. This is, this is uh, in the collect at, at the prayers of the people. Uh, and interestingly, uh, I opened right to it because it's falling out of the book. Um, but it is this collect at the prayers of the people that I, I think is really instructive for us. I don't use it very often because it splits from one page to the other, and I, for whatever reason, I don't see it. Almighty God, 
to whom our needs are known before we, we ask, ask, help us to ask only what accords with your will. will. And those good things which we dare not or in our blindness cannot ask, grant us for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Apparently we used that before because I have it too. Yeah. <laughs> I think it used to be used a lot because I've got that one coming into memory too. So. Yeah. 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 We, and so God's doing a lot of that. Yeah. We, we do a lot of hearing of it, but we don't always listen to it. Yeah. Perhaps because we hear it so often. Yeah. Okay. Anything Is else? that all you wrote? <laughs> well, it's all I have time for. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah, then we then we got your sermon. I, I, you know, I, I, so. I just want to pose a question because I think it goes with this. Is that for those who do have wealth and whatever, how do they distribute it in a way that is not patronizing, mm. in a way that is dignified? Mm-hmm. And nowadays, the word charity, for example, has pejorative term. That it's not charitable, right? That, right. You know, so I think that's very important too, right? Yeah. That people give it in a way that it's not saying. Yeah. If you want to do it, because <coughs> some people do it, but they get benefits from just. I have a book at home I can lend you called "Sweet Charity?" Question mark, and it deals with hunger ministries, but it does. Yeah, Talk I mean, a lot about anything. About that. If you're going to give a piece of bread, mm-hmm. you know, it's just. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm going to uh, I, I'm going to go to the great theological depths of Marvel and quote Spider-Man, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Ben. With great power comes great responsibility, yes, right? Absolutely. And in that in that in that thread of humility, um, with wealth comes the obligation to discern where money uh, or whatever it is that you are that, that you have to distribute how that is best used to build up the body of Christ yes. which and I use that in the broadest sense of the term Pat I, I see your MCU quote and I will quote a different great theologian Madonna I oh. am a material girl What if if you think you have given some some of your wealth, but you want to go to the moon, so you go that route? <laughs> and that really bothers me a bit. That you, that you, I, well, I'm serious, guys. Okay. That, that all these people they're wanting their spaceships and and right. they want to go to space, and and yet we've got so much need. Well, they're and allowed I, to know. They you are know it's their wealth and it's their choice and Taking it's their the relationship. No, and and, and it's it's it is, it is you know it's their it's their wealth, their choice. They amass it. They have the idea. They do whatever they want. You can for a library that. in online for a bookstore online. I mean, I, <laughs> I, 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 or you a They can disagree. You can really disagree with people. their choice. Uh-huh. I guess that's what I do. But is that wrong? I mean, it seems contract. to me that, that they're... But as a social contract, the government... Crimes against humanity. But I think there's a role for the church to be prophetic as well as to sort of say, okay, the status quo has certain good things about it. It is, it is their wealth, and we don't want to take it away from them. But the church does have a prophetic voice that says that challenges and should challenge that way of thinking. I think there are ironies in it, though, because 
our own government wants to go to the moon, or to go to Mars now, at enormous cost, when there are enormous numbers of people in great need now. So I don't think there's a simple answer here, mm -hmm. but that the church needs to, to also, be willing to speak prophetically. Mm -hmm. I also reject the idea of like, well, the status quo, there's like, I think the comfort that we find in the status quo is often used to prevent us from actually making steps forward mm -hmm. to help people. It's like, oh, well, this is how things have always been done. It's like, well, okay, slavery was how things were done for a long time. That doesn't mean we should have kept that. It does, like, a lot of these things are not good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. You, but, you I think also... that I, but I think the church has to be in the place. I think this is what Augustine would say, of saying, here, here are things in the status quo that are good, Mm -hmm. and, and we're going to support those things that are good, but we're also at the same time going to speak prophetically about the things that aren't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the church is, by the way, we also have to be continually mindful that we are agents of the status quo as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, Tom, some of what you're speaking to maybe is that, that, that voice of discernment as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, exactly. And I would like to include ourselves in all of this, in other words, a critique of ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's what I meant earlier, saying it's easy for it's easy for middle class and upper middle class Americans to be critical of the prosperity mm -hmm. gospel <laughs> because, in a sense, yeah. we don't need we don't have the need of right. a lot and of. Right, you said that earlier. Yeah. 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 What does this mean? God. 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 He struggles. Yeah, we are those who struggle. Who struggle what? with God? Wrestle. Yeah. Wrestle. Yeah. Jacob's name is changed to Israel when as he wrestles with the angel. Um, mm -hmm. But God had to cheat and break his hip. God what? doesn't cheat. He doesn't. God uses all the resources available. At <laughs> and and they, but the Hebrew root there actually means get into the dust with. Yeah. yeah. Get Ooh. down in the dirt Ooh, and wow. fight with. Yeah. Him. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. Right. So. Go, Tina. We are right, but. I think the, the but we all want the right answers, quick and easy. Right. Oh, and yeah. don't want to do that wrestling. But it's also we are wrestling with God. And when we wrestle with God and we are keeping everything else in its proper perspective, um, then we we wrestle with God pertaining wealth, not wrestle with wealth pertaining God. Right? So let's ask God. Let's get into that. Yeah. So we start in that place of placing God in the center yeah, yeah, yeah. and asking those questions first. Okay. So that, that is our tradition to wrestle. We don't we are wrestlers. And we don't have yeah. We are not mm -hmm. yeah. And and God's the field. Well, no, we don't do the simple answer. No. We wrestle. And sometimes we get it wildly wrong. <laughs> we did not apologize for slavery until 2008. Yeah. I was just going to say that like that, that idea of struggle and getting down in the dirt with God is so antithetical to what prosperity gospel is, mm. too. Like, just the idea that if you want it, it'll happen. Like God just works transactionally is the easy answer. So that just struck me, like the, yeah. the difference and the separation from mm -hmm. the story of God. Yeah. All right, thank it's you so really much. It's really good to see you back here, Sheila. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.